My name is Gage. And I'm Ray. Oh, oh, and it's me, Squidward. <laughs> and you are listening to Gore Report, a true crime podcast. Yes, the reports of gore. The reports of gore. I hope you guys are ready, because it does get kind of spooky around here. It is permanently spooky around these parts, and we hope you <laughs> expect nothing less, because if you did, you would be disappointed. <laughs> So, hi. It doesn't matter if you're new here or if you've been a continuing listener, but we are so happy to have you. We hope you're having a good day and a good wake and and a a good good life. life. That's just our little saying here. We always wish you a happy day, a happy week, a happy existence. We always like to include that. Before we get into everything, there are a couple of like random notes that I want to get through. Mm Mm-hmm. So if we're a little bit all over the place with this one, I apologize. But the first thing that I want to say is that today is Ray's birthday. So happy birthday to you, you, my best friend. By the time that you guys hear this episode on Thursday, it won't be Ray's birthday anymore. But we are recording this on her birthday. So I just wanted to take a moment to tell you happy birthday. 37 years old looks good on me. <laughs> yes, it does. I'm telling you, you're beautiful. You're welcome. It's the truth. (laughs) Yeah, I actually have had some listeners reach out to me already. So like Nudes and Dayanera, like they got a hold of me. Oh, I love both of them. Holy shit. That's really sweet. So they got a hold of me and they were like, happy birthday. But I love you guys. Thank you so much. That is absolutely awesome. I love the both of you. I love you guys. But only if you consent to it. Because consent is important. (laughs) I will never stop saying that because it is. (laughs) The last little note that I want to make before we get into everything is actually a question for all of you listening. Me and Ray, we really, really love being involved with you guys. We love being involved with the people that listen to us. We care very deeply about what you guys think. And we've kind of reached a point in our show to where we're debating possibly making a Patreon. Yeah. So that's like a step that we're thinking we want to do. But we we don't really know exactly what kind of content that we could offer. I mean, there's a lot of different options. So our question to you is... If we did do this, what is some extra content or some Patreon-exclusive content that you would maybe like to see from me and Ray? We actually care about what you think, so if you actually have any feedback, then by all means, please do not hesitate to go on our Facebook, our Instagram, any of our social media platforms, which we will announce our usernames for everything at the end, as we usually do, so you can go follow us or whatever you want to do. But if we did take the step to make a Patreon, then we just want to make sure that we're actually providing content and providing things that you guys actually want, you know? Yeah, because we definitely don't want you guys to subscribe and pay for something that isn't above par, you know? Exactly. That's just a little question for a possible future endeavor that may or may not happen, but... Just let us know what you think. That's something we just kind of wanted to ask you guys. But we have been getting messages from you guys and even love all the way from Poland, someone said. Yeah, which is crazy to me to think about. That is wild. That is so wild. Yeah, it's so awesome. But like the people that have contacted us, and I'm very sorry if it's kind of confusing, but we both get your messages at the same time. So we're both immediately reading it. And sometimes he gets to answer quicker than I do and vice versa. And sometimes we get to it at the same time (laughs) and we both respond. So (laughs) we do indeed. But if it's one thing that I can say that you and I both absolutely wanted to do is we wanted to make this fun. It is true, though, like. It's the most rewarding part of this show and doing the work that we do. This whole podcast, our production, our research, everything that you guys hear is just me and Ray. Like we do all of it ourselves. We don't Mm -hmm. have a production team. 
We're a very small podcast. We kind of built it up from the ground up with what we had. So the most rewarding part of it, for sure, is when we actually hear from you guys and we hear people say that they love our episodes or they love our energy or just whatever it may be. It is the utmost rewarding thing to hear from you guys. And we can't even express how much we appreciate it. So truly, I mean, we genuinely love to hear from each and every one of you because we love you. It makes us so happy. We could almost just run and jump out the window. (laughs) Well, let's not do that. I'm not ready to suck and roll. I just can't. My body don't work like that anymore, bitch. That like, got, like that little last note, it went from yeah, yeah to whoa, 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 no, no, we are not jumping out of a goddamn window. Hold up. <laughs> so yeah, if you have any feedback on the Patreon question or whatever it may be, or just anything really, then you know we welcome you to contact us with all of that intro stuff out of the way we can now start discussing today's episode and my god my (laughs) god my god my god (laughs) for my episode this week i'm going to be telling you guys the story of elizabeth olton she was only nine years old when she was lured into the woods and then brutally murdered by her 15 year old neighbor Alyssa bustamante Mm. This is a case that I've known about for quite a few years now. And if I'm being honest, this is one of the ones that really sticks with me. Like, Mm -hmm. it's always stuck with me. I think about this case often. It absolutely just, there's just layers to it. And it scares the shit out of me. And it's more than sad. There's just, it's one of those. Mm -hmm. Long story short, it's one of those. And before we dive right into it, I do want to say that this case is obviously pretty bad. (laughs) It's pretty awful. As I said just a second ago, Elizabeth was only nine when she was brutally murdered. Not only is this case especially horrific due to it involving the death of a child, Mm -hmm. but there are also going to be some mentions and discussion of suicide, self-harm, things like that as well. So you guys know I like to give my trigger warnings. I don't want to send anyone in blind. Get your seat belts ready. Get your seat belts ready. <laughs> so that's my little disclaimer here. This is definitely going to cover some sensitive stuff. It's not an easy one. So if at any point, if you feel like this story is a little much for you, then I promise you, me nor Ray will be upset with you if you need to go listen to something else for sure. You know, I just want to say that I think it's kind of funny that almost all of our episodes start like that. If it's too much for you, please listen to something else. <laughs> right. Because it's just terrible. And I remember in one of our last episodes, we were like, you know, go listen to a less traumatizing episode of ours, and that's completely false hope. Continues I- to find the next traumatizing episode. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, it's literally false hope that we're giving because all of our episodes are traumatizing. So it's like, what do we do there, you know? It's terrible. It's terrible. I want to say, too, going forward, that this case is mainly known because of Alyssa's name. Mm -hmm. This is one of the cases in which a trove of information exists for the killer, but not so much the victim. For my telling of this case, I really wanted to focus on Elizabeth, and I wanted to focus on her story rather than Alyssa's. Yeah. Now, I will say Alyssa did, in fact, have a very traumatic childhood, and I do believe that her story needs to be touched on, too, for sure. Yeah. But I'm not going to be doing like a super deep dive into Alyssa's life with this one. I figured that maybe here in the beginning, I could give a very brief synopsis of Alyssa's life Mm -hmm. um, just so you kind of have an idea of like what was going on in her mind. But again, I don't want to make this. You know, I don't want to make this episode about Alyssa. I want to make it about Elizabeth because yeah. I believe her story and her her everything and how her family was impacted because of this. I think that needs to be the forefront. I'm also going to refrain from talking about Alyssa too badly mm-hmm. during this because, I mean, she was sick. She really, really needed help. She was not okay. She had a lot going on in her brain. That does not in any way excuse the absolute horrific shit that she did but you know it's just one of those things so speaking from experience i mean anytime you have a mental illness or something going on that is that you're basically raw dogging life and you're not in check 
or you don't even know that you have these problems, it can it I'm, can really affect you. I mean, there's a lot of layers here. Alyssa definitely had some help, but definitely not to the caliber that she needed it. Gotcha. Definitely not to the caliber that she needed it. So before I dive in, I'm going to use this time just to kind of give you like a brief touch on Alyssa and her life. Alyssa, Dalen, Bustamante. Get the fuck out of here. Get right. the fuck out of here. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. I actually <laughs> kind of forgot. My son's name is Dalen. My son's name is Dalen. And your daughter's and name daughter's is Alyssa. Name is Alyssa. That is kind of chilling because even in the spelling of Alyssa's name, it's spelt the same that you have Alyssa and Dalen spelled. It's even spelt the same. Thanks. I hate it. <laughs> So, yeah, Alyssa, she was born on January 28th, 1994, and both of her parents were addicts, like Mm -hmm. really bad addicts, super, super, super bad. Alyssa also had two younger twin brothers and a younger sister, and all of them were neglected pretty heavily by their parents. They had no stability, no care, no anything, really. Hate that. It wasn't until 2002 that Alyssa's grandparents stepped in and got full custody of all four kids. Alyssa had went up to her being about eight or nine years old before her grandparents stepped in and got her and her siblings. Imaginably, by that time, she had suffered a great deal of trauma. Right. You know, I can't speak on behalf of Alyssa, but, you know, her childhood fucked her up. And it's very evident with, you know, the rest of the story and how it plays out. Yeah. Alyssa struggled with depression and self-harm from a young age. Mm -hmm. She actually tried committing suicide at only 12 years old via overdosing on Tylenol, and it led to her being hospitalized and put on a few different medications, one of those medications being Prozac, which... What? Remember that for later, because Prozac will come up again at the end of this. You know, I'm going to put that little note in your mind for later, but Alyssa was definitely an extremely troubled girl. I said it like a hundred times, but she really, really, really needed help. She needed more help than what she was receiving. Mm. Leading up to this murder, Alyssa showed several bits of disturbing behavior, such as listing cutting and killing people as her hobbies on her YouTube channel. Oh my God. Yes. She also had a video on that YouTube channel where she got her younger twin brothers to grab an electric fence that was outside of their home. Mm-hmm. And she edited the video specifically like before her brothers grabbed the fence. She inserted this little slide that said, quote, this is the good part. This is where my brothers get hurt. End quote. Before, yeah, you know, before they grab the fence, it's just like a whole bunch of mess. A lot of it is really, really concerning, especially in context to what happens. Yeah. But I can say, though, that in my own childhood, that was something that we did was, oh, you got to go pee on the electric fence. Right, right. You You know, know, me and my brother did stupid shit to each other. I know you and your (laughs) brother did, but I guess it's just one of those things that in context to what happens, you look back on it and it's like, oh Oh, my God. Yeah, Yeah, it's just one of those things. Um, It is also reported that at the time that Alyssa was arrested for all of this, Mm -hmm. that she had well over 300 self-inflicted cuts all over her body oh my god pretty much yeah she again i'm gonna say it a hundred times i don't know how else to say it but she desperately needed help i'm just kind of giving that base information now for the third time i don't want to make this episode about Alyssa, even though i think some information regarding Alyssa is important but i'm mainly wanting to focus on elizabeth going forward so i just wanted to put that in there at the beginning just so you kind of have an idea um all of the information is out there though if you would like to go do your own research kind of get a more in-depth grasp of Alyssa's life going forward I'm gonna be focusing on Elizabeth and now that we've touched on all of this base information regarding Alyssa we can now dive into today's episode I'm going to start things off by introducing you to Elizabeth Olton She was born on December 15, 1999, near Jefferson City, Missouri, and she was raised by her mother, Patty. Elizabeth was also raised alongside her two older siblings, Anthony and Stephanie, and from all counts, Elizabeth was an incredibly loving, incredibly sweet soul. She's described by her family as well as everyone who knew her as being an absolute ball of joy and happiness. 
She was a fourth grade student at Trail Elementary School, and she had a strong love for cats, playing outside, watching Hannah Montana, spending time with her family, and she especially loved the color pink. That was her favorite color for sure. That's so sweet. Like, my room was pink, too, when I was really young. Oh, really? Like, it was Pepto-Bismol pink. (laughs) Yeah, that was Elizabeth's favorite color. She was over the top about it. And if you haven't noticed from my room, like, my walls are pink. Right. (laughs) Right. As we're sitting in here in a pink room, you're like, my room was pink. And I'm like, oh, shit, really, bitch? As I sit in a pink room. (laughs) That's me for sure. But yeah, you know, Elizabeth was definitely a girly girl. She loved all of that kind of stuff. And the happiness that radiated from her spirit was just contagious. She was one of the kindest girls you could ever meet. And she meant the absolute world to her mother and her siblings. Elizabeth's absence is definitely felt by the people who were closest to her. Oh, man. The events of this case took place in the small town of St. Martin's, Missouri, Mm -hmm. in the fall of 2009. So that's where I'm going to be taking us for the setting of everything. Yeah. It was a very normal Wednesday for Elizabeth and her family on October 21st of that year. After Elizabeth had gotten home from school that day, she did her homework, and then she was practicing her lines for an upcoming school play that she was going to be in. A little after 4 p.m. that same evening, Elizabeth's mother, Patty, started preparing dinner for everyone. Okay. So again, this was a very normal day for this household. Elizabeth was just practicing her lines. She was picking on her siblings. Mm -hmm. Her mom had dinner going. There was not one single inclination of the literal nightmare that was about to happen. Oh, my God. It was around 5 p.m. that there was a knock on the door. So Patty answers it. And she finds that it's one of the neighbor girls that played with Elizabeth regularly. Her name is Emma, and she was only six years old at the time. Okay. So basically, Emma had walked over to Elizabeth's house to ask if she could come outside and play for a little bit. Okay. And initially, Patty said no. Like, she had just started dinner. It wouldn't be too long before it was finished. It was going to be getting dark soon, you know? Mm. Patty really wasn't for the idea at first. However, kids will be kids. And Elizabeth and Emma both pleaded with Patty to let them play together. Please, pretty please. Exactly. So after a few minutes of the girls begging to play, Patty caved in and she told Elizabeth, well, you know, okay, you can go, but only for one hour. You have to be back home before six. Mm -hmm. So Elizabeth grabbed her cell phone. She was super excited and she went out the door with Emma. Unknowingly to Patty and her two other kids, this would be the very last time that they would see Elizabeth alive. And, you know, that goes back to just about every single episode that we talk about where it's those split decisions. What if Patty had stuck to her guns and been like, no, you can't go. Right, right. You know, but then again, would it only lead to the same thing that did happen to her happening later on down the road? And we honestly, we won't know. And that's the scariest part of it. Yeah. But it is one of those things you boil it down to. A situation and a decision and then absolute tragedy. And it's fucking chilling to think about. Like, I literally couldn't imagine. After Elizabeth and Emma leave out, Patty carries on cooking and preparing dinner for everyone. An hour passes. And then Patty realizes that Elizabeth still isn't home. Mm. Patty tried calling Elizabeth a few times, you know, via her cell phone only to get no response. Oh, no. 6.05 rolls around, and then 6.10 rolls around, and there are still no signs of Elizabeth anywhere. So Patty starts panicking. Yeah. And I want to add a quick note here that this was absolutely not in Elizabeth's character to not come home on time, especially in the evening hours, because Elizabeth was deathly afraid of the dark. Oh. Deathly afraid. So... This was on a October night. The sun was going to be going down at around 630. Patty lives in an area surrounded by dense woods. Like, Elizabeth would have been scared to death being outside in that at night. So, like, something clearly wasn't right here, and Patty knew that. The first thing that Patty did after trying to call Elizabeth was she called Emma's grandmother to maybe see if Elizabeth was, you know, over at her house. So, keep in mind... 
Elizabeth and Emma were neighbors. They lived just a few houses apart, and the girls played together regularly. So it wasn't out of left field at all for Patty to think that Elizabeth may still be over there. And that's scary because not everyone is your friend. You just don't know. Darkness and horror can be lurking literally anywhere. And that is definitely a theme of this, for sure. Patty, she calls over to Emma's house. Emma's grandmother answers a woman named Karen. Mm -hmm. And Patty tells Karen that Elizabeth hadn't come home after leaving with Emma roughly an hour before. And then she asks if Elizabeth and Emma were maybe still playing over, you know, over at their house. Mm -hmm. Karen then tells Patty that Emma is there at home, but that Elizabeth was not with her. (gasps) Karen said that she hadn't seen Elizabeth all day that day, that she had never been there. Holy shit. Right. So after this, Patty just goes into full-blown panic mode. She hangs up with Karen and immediately calls the police to report Elizabeth as missing. Like, was the neighborhood a smaller neighborhood? I mean, obviously it's rural, but... Yeah, it wasn't wasn't really a neighborhood, like you said. It was more so like a stretch of dirt road and woods, and there were a couple of houses, like, in a circle kind of area. Gotcha. So you had Elizabeth's house... And then maybe a block, block and a half down this dirt road, you had Emma's house. Got you. Okay. Yeah. After Patty called and reported Elizabeth is missing, it only took literally within an hour for firefighters, police officers, highway patrol, the FBI, the K-9, yeah, the K-9 unit, as well as hundreds of volunteers They all gathered together to search for Elizabeth quickly. Like, this was huge. Well, all right, Missouri. Right. And let me put it into perspective further that the town of St. Martin's has a population of roughly 1,200 people. So that means that roughly a third of this entire town had joined in the search almost immediately. It was 100% a community effort. Wow. Every single person that was able to help look for Elizabeth was out there doing just that. Mm Mm-hmm. So as the hours rolled by, the weather started interfering with the search severely. It started raining really heavily, and as a result, the search had to be called off for the night. Mm -hmm. You know, keep in mind this area where Patty lived was surrounded by dense woods, rocks, dirt, you know, all of that. And it was nighttime on top of all of this. So the terrain compounded with the environmental conditions made the search almost impossible to continue until the next morning. Yeah, and anytime you're dealing with a densely forested area like that, you're not even going to have the small mercy of if the moon is big, you know, it lights up. Yeah, exactly. You're not even going to have that small mercy. It's just dark because of the overcover. Yeah, exactly. So that next day... Thursday, October 22nd, the whole community is still avidly looking for Elizabeth. Highway Patrol set up numerous checkpoints around the area so they could stop and check every single vehicle that drove through. And the police had also contacted every single registered sex offender in that area to check any possible involvement. Like all of this in less than 24 hours. It's crazy. Good job, Missouri. I mean, you know, this is an example of excellent police work. Like they really, really had their shit together with this one. This is the way that, you know, missing children, missing person cases. This is how it should be handled immediately. Also on that same day, the police contacted the local cell phone company and they were able to do what's called an emergency ping Mm -hmm. for Elizabeth's cell phone, basically meaning They got the phone company to launch a signal out from the surrounding towers in the area to see if they could maybe get a ping from Elizabeth's phone. It's like a tracking tactic, essentially. And it's really easy for the phone company to triangulate that because every account has a name, has a serial number of the device, and each device has its own, like an IP address. So they can find you no matter where you're at. If you're around cell phone towers, they can find you. Exactly. And... Elizabeth's phone pinged a total of three times before the battery died. And it was revealed that Elizabeth, or at least Elizabeth's cell phone, was in the middle of the dense wooded area in between her house and Emma's house. So at this point in the story, Elizabeth has been missing for almost 48 hours. 
And other than the results from the emergency ping, there are absolutely no leads, like none. So the authorities decide to trace steps back to the last person that had seen Elizabeth, which was her friend, six-year-old Emma Bustamante. Yeah. When Emma was questioned initially on the night of Elizabeth's disappearance, she told police that she had played with Elizabeth for about an hour, and then they split ways to walk home. That was her initial story of events. But on this day, the second time she was interviewed, Emma's story changed a little bit. Okay. This time, Emma told the police that her and Elizabeth had been playing together in the woods, and then she accidentally fell into some thorn bushes. Emma mm. said that when this happened, she started screaming and crying for her older sister to come help her. Emma's older sister being 15-year-old Alyssa Bustamante. Mm-hmm. So this is a big change in the story. Now there's a whole nother person being brought in. And since Alyssa's name got brought up, it was now a real possibility that maybe she had been one of the last people to see Elizabeth. So police immediately go to question her. When Alyssa was asked what she had been doing on the day that Elizabeth had disappeared, she said that she had skipped school that day. And then she said that at around 630 that evening that she attended church with her grandparents and her siblings. Alyssa said that she was aware that Elizabeth was missing, but insisted that she knew absolutely nothing about what could have happened. Alyssa could not provide a solid alibi for herself between 4.30 p.m. and 6 p.m. that day. Suspicious. Suspicious as fuck. Which, you know, that's the span of time that Elizabeth went missing. Right. So Alyssa's younger siblings, Elizabeth's siblings, everyone essentially was accounted for in that time period except Alyssa. Mm. It was reported that Alyssa was extremely calm when talking to investigators. She showed not the first sign of nervousness, anxiety, like none of that. She seemed extremely forthcoming about the information she was giving. So the police initially ruled Alyssa out as a possible suspect after speaking with her. Okay. Alyssa even offered to join the search party. And she was brought out that day to help investigators and everyone else search for Elizabeth. Okay. It would be when a rather unusual discovery was made by investigators that Alyssa would make a comment that kind of turned the eye of suspicion back in her direction a little bit. Okay. So while the investigators and some volunteers and Alyssa were searching this dense wooded area, the investigators found a hole. But not just any hole. This hole looked as if it had been dug. And the size and shape of the hole resembled a grave. Just... Uh. Yeah, and it was just big enough for a small child to fit into. Oh, no. And, you know, you have to think of situational context here. These people are searching for a missing nine-year-old, and then they find what appears to be a pre-dug grave just big enough for a child to fit into. That's definitely a bit unnerving, I think. Right. The investigators were really kind of weirded out by this discovery. As the investigators and some volunteers were starting to examine this hole, Alyssa would actually just blurt out that she had been the one who dug it. What? Yeah, she just completely volunteered this. An investigator on scene, Sergeant David Rice, he said that Alyssa's comment kind of struck him as odd. So he asked Alyssa, you know, why did you dig this hole? And Alyssa responded by saying, quote, I just like digging holes. I bury dead animals in them when I find them. I heard Alyssa say she dug the hole. And of course... My response to that was, why did you dig the hole? And Alyssa said, I just like digging holes and would bury dead animals when she found them. Okay, first of all, it's giving Jeffrey Dahmer vibes. It's definitely scary. What 15-year-old digs holes and buries dead animals in them? I mean, I could understand if it was a pet, but really random ass animals? I don't think so. I mean, if you ask a whole bunch of 15-year-old girls what, you know, what their hobbies are, I doubt that most of them will say digging holes in the woods to bury dead (laughs) animals. You know, it's just one of those things. It's weird. Uh, I also want to say that that audio clip was from an interview with David Rice, and that interview was used in the True Crime Daily episode that was made about this case. You can, you know, you can easily find it on YouTube. I just wanted to credit the source, basically. At the time that this seemingly pre-dug grave discovery was made, the FBI had obtained a search warrant for the Bustamante home. And it was soon after getting that warrant that the home was searched, and this investigation would get turned on its head when agents searched Alyssa's bedroom. Uh... 
Dum dum. And I'm going to interject really quickly here that this is the part of the story where self-harm is going to be mentioned. And this also marks the story rapidly approaching towards the horrific truth of what actually happened to Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. So take a deep breath. Do what you need to do. Do it with me, guys. <sighs> oh, wow, and I'm Squidward, and I'm here to tell you it's about to get drastically fucking worse. <laughs> the rest of this story is simply fucking awful, so buckle in. I want you to tell me why your Squidward <laughs> comes out as, like, a country version of... <laughs> it's like the countryfied version of... Squidward. I literally can't explain it, and I don't even know why it's called Squidward, because it literally hardly (laughs) sounds like Squidward, but that's just the name that this personality demanded, so I had to, you know, I had to, I had to do it. I don't know how to explain it. He's just there. (laughs) So, in Alyssa's bedroom, the agents find very disturbing poetry written all over Alyssa's walls. Poetry specifically about cutting. Some of these poems were written in different colors of ink, while others seem to actually be written in blood. Like, quite literally blood. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty intense. One of the poems found on Alyssa's wall reads, quote, I cut to focus when my brain is racing. I cut to make physical what I feel inside. I cut to see blood because I like it. I don't like to cut, but I can't give it up. End quote. Yeah, that's that's really the hallmark of a suffering 15-year-old that is struggling to deal with not only her emotions, but... How to express them. How to express them, but also the underlying issue of mental illness. Because, you know, things that I've dealt with and things that I've experienced, when people get to that point, They are normally numb in their emotions and they want to feel just something, even if it's pain. Exactly. I can really see how she is struggling with her emotions and trying to get it out on paper, just trying to get it out. I mean, was her grandmother not as involved with her? Because I know her parents were, as you said, drug addicts, but like... Once she got with her grandmother, was she not involved enough with this child's emotions about her traumatic past? You see what I'm saying? Like, it's just... Well, it's it's really touchy area because if you remember me bringing up in the beginning, Alyssa had tried committing suicide at 12. This led to her being hospitalized. After the fact, she went through some pretty intensive outpatient therapy. Alyssa was seeing a therapist and a counselor, Mm -hmm. but I don't really know how to explain it. I personally think that Alyssa kind of hid a lot of this. I think she hid the severity of how dark and how bad she was feeling. Mm -hmm. So from Karen's perspective, I don't think she really thought that Alyssa was as bad off as what she actually was. Alyssa put on a act essentially well it is commonly known that people who struggle with self-harm will tend to mask their emotions absolutely it's it's just one of those things i don't think it was a case of karen not being involved with Alyssa. i think it was basically the way that Alyssa was portraying her level of mental stability to be was not the actual truth so karen was going based on that whatever we want to call it it's just i don't think it's a situation of her grandparents not being involved i think it's a situation of her grandparents not knowing the caliber that they needed to be involved yeah because Alyssa definitely hit a lot of this like a lot of it you know and that is typical behavior but i think that's more of a matter of what it was i mean there's a lot of things that we can speculate it definitely is truth i believe that Alyssa's childhood definitely traumatized her more than she spoke about Mm -hmm. especially her parents you know the abandonment that she felt whatever label we want to put to that feeling a lot of her trauma stemmed from her childhood gotcha And when the investigators searched Alyssa's room further, not only were poems all over the wall, Alyssa also had letters from her father, Cesar Bustamante, all over her room that he had written her in prison. At this time, he was serving a 10-year sentence for an assault charge, I believe. So Alyssa had these poems. She had letters from her dad all over her walls. 
I mean, that kind of shows, you know, maybe the connection between her trauma and the way her parents were towards her. I don't really know. But that's just one of the things that were found. Yeah. Alyssa also had some pretty disturbing imagery drawn on her walls as well. One of these drawings was a silhouette of a person, and the person had several slashes drawn through its face. And this silhouette was labeled with the name Emma, which is Alyssa's six-year-old sister. Whoa. Yeah, so basically, you go in the corner of her room, there's a drawing of a silhouette of a person, it's slashed to hell and back, and then right next to this silhouette is Emma. So... If it hadn't have been Elizabeth, then it probably would have been her own sister at this point. That is definitely some popular speculation with this case. The most disturbing of discoveries made by these investigators was actually Alyssa's diary. Okay. As the investigators flipped through the pages, they grew more and more concerned. Alyssa's diary was full of detailed entries regarding dark fantasies that she had. And it was all very... Hateful writing, extremely hateful. Alyssa had several entries talking about how she wanted to set her house on fire while her family was trapped inside burning to death. Yeah, she wrote about how she felt extremely suicidal and homicidal. Again, it was just all of this really dark, hateful writing like it was beyond what normal angsty teenage writing would be. But what caught the attention of the investigators the most about Alyssa's diary was the very last entry. Okay. It was dated October 21st, 2009, which was the day that Elizabeth vanished. And the whole entry had been scribbled out with blue ink. The only visible part of this entry was the very last sentence, which read, Kay, gotta go to church now, LOL. After this entry was discovered... Alyssa's diary was taken in as possible evidence, and the investigators began trying to decipher what exactly that last entry said. Yeah. That Friday, October 23rd, Alyssa was brought back in to be interviewed by David Rice. And right before the interview started, David was handed Alyssa's diary. And it turns out that using backlighting, the investigators had now uncovered two more words from that scribbled out entry. Okay. Slit and throat. Oh. Yeah. And now that this had been uncovered, this turned Alyssa's interview into a full-blown interrogation. They're really starting to look at her as a person of interest now because, like, you know, what the fuck? They're seeing slit. They're seeing throat. They're seeing that it's dated the day that this girl vanished. Like, it's just not And everything's good. been scribbled out. Everything's like- been scribbled out. If you remember me saying earlier, the only person that was not accounted for during the time that Elizabeth vanished was Alyssa. So all of this combined is just not really painting a good image. Well, all aboard the suspicious bus. Right, right. So David takes this diary into the interrogation room where he's joined by Alyssa, Alyssa's grandmother Karen, and a social worker. Through the first portion of this interrogation, Alyssa is extremely calm and forthcoming, just like before. Mm -hmm. But David also isn't really applying pressure at this point. Mm -hmm. He's just kind of observing Alyssa's body language and building rapport with her. Okay. David said that through his questioning that he would purposefully leave long pauses of silence after he would ask Alyssa a question. Like he would ask her something and then he would just sit in dead air. For like 30 to 45 seconds at a time. He said he was using the silence as a tool to kind of like make Alyssa uncomfortable, which, yeah, if you think about it, that's a pretty good interrogation technique. You know, it's also a popular tactic. Yeah, know? silence makes people uncomfortable. So David was using this to maybe see if he could get Alyssa to talk. Through this first part of questioning, Alyssa insisted that she had no clue where Elizabeth was. She told David countless times that she just truly didn't know that she, you know, she was confident about this. It was when David told Alyssa that he had her diary, Mm. that a noticeable shift in her demeanor happened. David told Alyssa that not only did they have her diary, but he told her that he had read it as well, including the last entry. And it's like it was in this moment that Alyssa knew that he knew. 
Uh, yeah. So her demeanor just completely fucking switched at this point. Because in the beginning of this interview, Alyssa had no idea that her diary had been confiscated. She had no clue. So when this bomb was dropped on her, she really started to like panic a little bit. Right. So after David tells Alyssa that he has the diary, he just straight up, you know, he asked her what happened to Elizabeth. And then he just sat silently. He noted that after asking this, Alyssa started showing clear signs of being extremely anxious. She started shaking. She started bobbing her head from side to side. Her eyes even started to tremor and she stopped making eye contact completely. Oh, wow. So, you know, she's really, really starting to show the signs that she's freaked out. Then Alyssa calmly says it was just an accident. She tells David that she had offered to walk Elizabeth home that day. She said they were walking when all of a sudden Elizabeth tripped, hit her head and just died. What? That's what she said. That was her first story. Alyssa said that when this happened, that she didn't know what to do. She said she was afraid of getting in trouble. So in her panic, she said that she drug Elizabeth's body into the woods and set her on fire. What? Yeah, she told him this. Alyssa told David that after burning Elizabeth, that she had scattered the ashes into the nearby creek, which you can clearly tell this is bullshit because, A, there is no way. I'm sorry, I'm allergic to bullshit. Oh, my God. (laughs) Right, right. But, I mean, there is no way that you can just set a body on fire with a torch or something and it burn all the way down to ashes. That's not how that works. No, because the fire has to be extremely hot. Like Extremely. They have to use furnaces to cremate somebody. There's no way that you're going to achieve this by just setting something on fire casually. So I'm going to grab my lighter and set you on fire. It doesn't work like that. Exactly. So there's some holes in this story kind of immediately. Uh, Holes. (laughs) And David, knowing that this story was complete bullshit and also knowing that the two recently uncovered words from that last entry in Alyssa's diary were slit in throat. He just cuts the bullshit and he goes, you know, Alyssa, we're going to find Elizabeth. And when we do, we're going to perform an autopsy. And he said that autopsy will show us exactly how she died. So I just need to know the truth. Again, he cut the bullshit. And after saying that, he just straight up asked Alyssa, was her throat cut? Mm -hmm. And then Alyssa looking down and shaking, she just breathes in and says, yes. Oh, God. Yeah, it's horrible. And the minute that Alyssa said yes, her grandmother, Karen, just absolutely broke down. Like, I couldn't imagine that. Yeah. She started crying out. She kind of fell out of her chair. Like, it is sad. It is so sad to hear this woman cry. And I mean, could you imagine you're in the room with police when your 15-year-old granddaughter admits to slicing the throat of the nine-year-old neighbor? I could not imagine that. I literally could not imagine that. Uh, I actually have an audio clip here from that part of Alyssa's interrogation, and I'm going to play that for you. I'm just going to give you a small warning. It's more than chilling. It's more than disturbing. And, you know, it's definitely not the easiest thing to listen to. So if you need to skip ahead, do so accordingly. I'm going to insert that clip for you now. So we need to know the truth because at the end of the autopsy, they will know exactly how she died. So we need to know now the full truth, full disclosure right now. So it doesn't come out later that, well, wasn't telling the full truth again. How did she die? Nine-year-old girls don't just die. We were missing her head. But she fell back with her head. Was her throat cut? Yeah. hard to listen to it's sad it's really sad and it's chilling as fuck to hear Alyssa admit to this in her own words you know 
Like it just, it gets to me. It gets to me so, so badly. And she didn't even skip a beat. She was just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, I guess she knew she had been caught. I don't really know, but just her just saying, yeah, that shit gets me. That shit really, really gets me. After Alyssa told David that she, in fact, had cut Elizabeth's throat, she goes on to tell him exactly what she had done on October 21st, the full story. So Alyssa told David that she had pre-dug a grave for Elizabeth just a few days before the murder took place on that previous Friday. It was all planned out. Alyssa dug this hole and finished preparing it officially on the day of the murder. That's why she skipped school that day. Say it with me, guys. Premeditated as fuck this definitely was. After the finishing touches on the grave were made, Alyssa then sent her younger sister Emma to go get Elizabeth. After the girls played for a bit, Alyssa told Emma to go back home. And then she told Elizabeth that she had something really, really cool to show her if she would just follow her for a short walk. So Elizabeth, obviously trusting Alyssa, agrees to go. Mm. And that is so fucking sad to me. Like, you have to think... Elizabeth had grown up right up the road from Alyssa and her three siblings. They all played together regularly. Elizabeth knew Alyssa. In her mind, all she's thinking of is how her friend's cooler, older sister wants to show her something. So she's excited and she's all for it. Yeah. And that is so fucking sad. Like in Elizabeth's mind, this was a trusted situation 100%. Right. So Alyssa then takes Elizabeth by the hand and starts walking her into the woods behind their houses. Deeper <sighs> and deeper. And after about 15 minutes of walking, the destination was reached. This really cool thing that Alyssa wanted to show Elizabeth was the shallow grave that had been pre-dug specifically for her after she was killed. God damn. When they got to this grave... Alyssa started the attack by striking Elizabeth with her fist, and then Alyssa grabbed Elizabeth by her throat with both hands. She strangled Elizabeth until she fell onto the ground. Then Alyssa got on top of Elizabeth and took out a rather large kitchen knife that she had concealed on herself. Alyssa had grabbed this knife from her grandmother's kitchen before Emma went over to grab Elizabeth. So with this knife... Alyssa stabbed Elizabeth eight times in her chest. Oh, my God. After Alyssa stabbed Elizabeth, she then slit Elizabeth's throat and her wrist. That poor baby. And then she threw Elizabeth's body into the shallow grave and walked home. And when she got home, she washed the knife that she had just used to kill Elizabeth and just left it in the sink. And the most unimaginable part of all of this is that the only motive that Alyssa gave for why she did this was just that she wanted to know what it felt like to kill someone. Like, can you believe that? She wanted to know what it felt like to kill someone. I am not okay. I don't know if you guys could hear my stomach hitting the floor. Everything about it is awful, but the fact that she took Elizabeth by her hand. Yeah. Took her by her hand and walked this poor child into the woods. I just can't imagine that. And this is around 5.30, 6 p.m. So the sun is setting. It's starting to get dark. They're heading into a forest. She must have been terrified the well, whole you, time. Well, you have to think, yes, she's in a situation that is terrifying to her. Like you just said, it's getting dark. She's in the woods. But the only one thing that is keeping her secure and not afraid is Alyssa. Is Alyssa. So Elizabeth's last moments on this earth was her being in an environment that terrified her. And then her safety betrayed her. Yeah. I have such a hard time with that. It's too much. It is really too much. It is more than depraved. It is more than evil. And then at the end of it, to give the reason of, I just wanted to know what it fucking felt like. 
Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. There is no appropriate or good answer for murder. There is not an acceptable answer. But I think that the least appropriate and acceptable answer is you just wanted to see what it fucking felt like. Right. And that absolutely just does something to me that I can't even fathom. And Alyssa walking this child into the woods for 15 minutes with this fucking kitchen knife under her jacket. She had that 15 minutes to think about what she was doing. She had that time where she could have stopped. Yeah. But she didn't. Not only did she walk Elizabeth all the way there, but then she brutally carried out killing her. I'm shaking right now. It's hard. Like, I have such a, like, this is mind-blowing. So after her confession, Alyssa led police to Elizabeth's body, and the scene was absolutely horrific. Something truly out of the most morbid nightmare. And I can't even fathom what it was like to see this. Like, I truly can't. I can't even entertain the thought for very long, if I'm being honest. Yeah. But it was at this scene that nine-year-old Elizabeth was found in this shallow grave, covered lightly in leaves. Some of her body parts were sticking up out of the mud. Oh, my God. This next audio clip that I have for you was actually recorded by David Rice at the scene of the murder. When Alyssa led him to the grave, he asked Alyssa again to tell him what she had done. So this was recorded right before the crime scene was processed and right before Elizabeth's body was recovered. Mm -hmm. And it's just fucking disturbing. If you don't want to hear Alyssa in her own words describe how she killed Elizabeth then I would recommend skipping ahead. This clip is about 66 seconds long. So, you know, do what you will. I'm going to play that for you now. When you strangled her, was she was she facing you? Yeah. Okay, so she was facing you, looking towards you. Mm-hmm. You strangled her one hand, mm-hmm. two hands. Okay, and what did you do with the knife? I put it in the sink. No, no, when you were here, once you said she was on the ground, not moving, you said, after that point, what did you do? I cut her throat and stabbed her. Cut her throat and stab. Where did you stab her? In her chest area. In her chest area? Yeah. In the front or in the back? In front. In the front. Okay. How many times? Twice, I believe. I'm literally about to cry. Yeah, it's bad. It's really bad. And to I put had a- it catch in my throat a couple times and I was just like, oh god. <laughs> and I want to paint a little more of this really hellish image that in that audio clip as i said beforehand this was recorded in the woods at the crime scene when Alyssa led david to where elizabeth's body was so the crunching of leaves that you hear keep in mind that they are in these woods mere feet away from a shallow grave where this child's limbs is sticking up out of the mud i have no words (sighs) I literally have no words. It is absolutely just unimaginable. I say that all the time, but this is unimaginable. This is fucking sad. My fucking heart hurts, Gage. Fix it. (laughs) I trusted you and you hurt me. (laughs) It's so bad. Oh, no. And another point that I just have to bring back up with what we've covered so far Alyssa was only 15 years old. Yeah. She was a child herself. And here she is, matter-of-factly describing how she had brutally killed another child. And if you notice, too, in that last clip, Alyssa said that she only stabbed Elizabeth twice, which we know that's a... The lie detector test determined that was a lie. Yes, that is a lie, because again... The autopsy showed that Elizabeth was stabbed eight times, and the stab wounds were fucking horrific. This was not a small knife that Alyssa did this with. So, I mean, it's just, it's fucked up. All of it's fucked up. 
to those of you wondering about that last entry in Alyssa's diary, that entry that was dated October 21st, the day that Elizabeth vanished, that journal entry was finally completely revealed through that backlighting technique. Right. So investigators were finally able to see exactly what Alyssa had written that day in its entirety. That last diary entry read word for word, quote, I just fucking killed someone. I strangled them, stabbed them and slit their throat. And now they're dead. And it was amazing. Once you get past the, oh, my God, I can't do this feeling. It's actually pretty enjoyable. I'm feeling a little nervous and shaky right now, though. Okay, got to go to church now. LOL. End quote. Get fucked. That's literally what she wrote word for word. Get all the way fucked. Like, it is so incredibly fucked up. And it was also reported a little later when Alyssa's grandfather was interviewed about this when Alyssa's confession had came out and she got caught. Alyssa's grandfather said that that evening when she had killed Elizabeth, that she was just in one of the best moods that she had been in in a long time, that she was just exuberantly happy. Going to church and doing her thing, she was just on cloud nine. No one knew that literally an hour before she had brutally fucking killed a nine-year-old girl. So there's that. So on that same day that Alyssa led police to Elizabeth's body, she was arrested and charged with first-degree murder and the death of nine-year-old Elizabeth Olton. It would be just days later, on October 28, 2009, that Elizabeth was officially laid to rest. She was buried in a pink coffin, which was carried to the gravesite in a carriage drawn by horses. Since Elizabeth's favorite color was pink, her entire family, as well as everyone else in attendance, wore pink t-shirts for the service. These t-shirts had a picture of Elizabeth on them, and they all read, Our Precious Angel. At the end of the funeral, pink balloons were released in her memory. Elizabeth's aunt is quoted at the funeral, saying, quote, Elizabeth was the morning sun that pops out over the mountains. She was sunshine, and you couldn't help but love her. End quote. It would be on November 18th, 2009, that the Cole County Juvenile Court released jurisdiction over the case, and it was decided by the state of Missouri that even though Alyssa was only 15 years old at the time of the offense, that she would in fact be tried as an adult. Alyssa initially pled not guilty to the charge of first-degree murder, and armed criminal action, and Alyssa upheld this not guilty plea for well over a year. It would be the day before her trial officially started, in January of 2012, that Alyssa would accept a plea deal to the lesser charge of second-degree murder, with the charge of armed criminal action carrying over. In doing this, she waived her rights to a jury trial, but as a part of this plea deal, Alyssa had to agree to stand in front of the court and speak aloud exactly what she had done to Elizabeth. It would be on January 10th, 2012, that a then 18-year-old Alyssa Bustamante stood before the courts to speak in her own words what she had done. That day, the courtroom was full of not only Alyssa's family, but also Elizabeth's family, as well as majority of the entire St. Martin's community. Keep in mind... This was a very small town, and this case was well-publicized, like everyone was in attendance to this. This crime absolutely fucking destroyed this town. And they helped search for her. Yeah, and exactly. This whole this whole town was involved. Fuck you, Gage. You made me cry. <laughs> oh, I, I want to fucking cry. If I, look, I have to look away from you right now, because if I see you crying, I, I will cry. The funeral thing took me out, man. Like, that just took me out. No, there's, it got me. There's absolutely no need for a fluff fact, because I'm just done for. <laughs> you said the fluff fact is me here crying. Right. So, Patty, as well as Elizabeth's two older siblings, sobbed and screamed as Alyssa told the courts about how she not only lured Elizabeth to this pre-dug grave, but how she strangled her, beat her, slit her throat, and stabbed her. All in the name of wanting to know what it felt like to kill someone. It is even said that Elizabeth's grandmother screamed out to the judge during this trial, quote, she should get out of prison the same day that my grandbaby gets out of her grave, end quote. Alyssa also addressed Elizabeth's family on this day saying, quote, I cannot even imagine what you are all going through. 
and I am so sorry for this. If I could give my life to bring her back, I would. And I am so sorry. End quote. Uh, and that didn't really go over too well. Yeah, uh, it's not going over too well with me either. <laughs> Elizabeth, Elizabeth's mom, Patty, would actually later state in an interview that her response to this was that it just made her angry. She said that she felt like Alyssa was being fed what to say by her attorney. Mm -hmm. She said, I absolutely in no way felt like it was genuine. And even if it was, there's not one fucking thing that will make me feel better about it. Yeah. It's just sad. Elizabeth's older sister, Stephanie went on an interview as well saying that she quote fucking hated Alyssa and that Alyssa had ruined and destroyed their entire family. And there's nothing that can be done to give that back to them. It is absolutely fucking sad. Like, this is crazy, crazy like, sad shit. Yeah, as proof, I'm over here crying like a baby. <laughs> Blood bless you. I know, it's hard. It's really hard. It's really, really man. hard. So, Alyssa's sentencing trial was held on February 8th, 2012. And she was sentenced to life imprisonment with the possibility of parole after 35 years for the charge of second-degree murder. And then she was sentenced to an additional 30 years for the charge of armed criminal action. She was ordered to serve her sentences concurrently. Now, later in 2012, the Supreme Court's passed a bill that states that giving life sentences without the possibility of parole to juveniles was unconstitutional. So that Supreme Court ruling led Alyssa to try and appeal her sentence in 2014. Her defense brought up Alyssa's long-documented struggles with her mental health, as well as even bringing up the fact that Alyssa had her dosage of Prozac upped before the murder. Her defense was saying that maybe her dosage of Prozac being increased contributed to Alyssa's violent behavior. So it's like this whole Prozac defense thing got brought into it because evidently it's it's some kind of documented something that people who take Prozac may or may not be more prone to violent and homicidal slash suicidal outbursts. So mm -hmm. her defense tried to say that her dosage being up shortly before this was like a direct factor in it. But the courts, you know, they were not hearing any of that. Her appeal was rejected, and her previous sentence was upheld by the courts. Now, when you're on a medication like that, it does change chemicals in your brain to yes. balance things out. Yes. However, it does not change your thought process at all. Or at least not entirely. I can say... I don't know, because that's gray area. I can't speak on behalf of individuals who take this and what they've experienced. But I can say that quite a lot of people are on Prozac and not a lot of people go and fucking brutally kill a child. Right. So there's some gray area. Nonetheless, that was a defense that was used in her appeal and it was rejected. Again, the courts upheld her previous sentence. Today, Alyssa Bustamante is 28 years old. And she's still serving her sentence at the Chillicothe Correctional Facility located in Chillicothe, Missouri. I'm afraid that she will be forgotten. And we don't want that. We want to remember her. We want to remember the, the little girl with the smile that played, that was a happy, normal child, that was important to our world, that's gone. And we don't want her forgotten. And that's what matters to us. And that concludes the story of Elizabeth Olton. You made me cry. <laughs> you made me fucking cry. I'm over here like trying to silently keep this shit to myself with tears rolling down my face. The glasses came off. I started wiping my eyes. I was like, this bitch. I'm so sorry. It almost got me to like, I can't even describe to you the amount of detachment that I had to have telling this case. Yeah. Like, I mean, I have to have that in some degree with every case that I tell. But this one. I mean, we have to decompartmentalize, you know, like. Put this you here. have to separate a little bit, yeah. but like this one in particular, I had to really go to the extreme of just detaching from it because had I not, I would have not been able to do this episode. Like it would have been a week of solid crying. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like I said in the beginning, this is one that really sticks with me like yeah. profoundly. I just I can't. And that it kind of proves my point even more too in the beginning when I said that I really wanted to make this about Elizabeth. 
I didn't want to yeah. make this about Alyssa, even though I do think that a lot of Alyssa's problems and things that she dealt with, I do think there is room for that. And that needs to be told and understood to a degree. But, but I really, I really wanted to make this about Elizabeth. I wanted to make this about her life and how her family and how her community was impacted so horribly by this. Yeah. I just felt like it was the best thing that I could do to actually honor Elizabeth and to actually give some, I don't know, I guess honor really is the best word. I wanted to honor and respect Elizabeth's memory. That's why I didn't want to make this about Alyssa. 90% of the time when you hear about this case, it's about Alyssa. Yeah. That's just a take that I wanted to have on it. But, you know, yeah, it's awful. A lot of people do glorify murderers and that, that is a thing. So that last clip that we heard that wasn't patty uh no that was not patty i'm actually not a hundred percent sure what her name is but she basically was a family spokesperson also liaison basically she was speaking on behalf of the community and on behalf of elizabeth's family yeah because the family doesn't want to have to retell what happened to their daughter to every single news media that wants an interview you I, know? I couldn't imagine so I'm i really sure, couldn't imagine pretty sure they have liaisons for that yeah so that's what that was and it's absolutely just but the it's point haunting I was getting to with asking you who she was What she said about not wanting Elizabeth to be forgotten, that, that got me. Like, that got me. This, this is what we are here to do. Right. We preserve people's memories. And some people that we cover may not be the best, you know, they're not the best kind of person, but you know, this happened to them. And, you know, we have to remember that these are human beings that we're talking about and, a lot of people want to look at Alyssa as a monster, and I I do believe the thing that she did to Elizabeth is quite monstrous. It's oh, very yeah. easy There's to no see denying her that. as a monster, but we cannot deny that she is another human being with her own problems and thought processes and things like that. And she's also a victim in her own right. Yeah. You know, to that, a degree, that yeah. is a part It does not in any way excuse it. Right. But it's just a perspective that you have to have. And like going off of what you just said, I believe the best thing that we can do here with our show, our podcast, it's not about exploiting people's trauma. This work and why I'm so passionate about it is because it's based on the motive of wanting to preserve and honor those who have been affected by these things. Right. You know, at the end of it, the real the final ending points that I have here. I do genuinely, with all my heart, I hope that Alyssa gets help. And I hope that she can maybe somewhere in her mind and her soul do something different with her life. You know, I truly, truly hope that. I mean, it's sad. But more so than that, I just want to honor Elizabeth. Woo, that was a, that was a doozy. It's like I said, I'm Squidward. And I'm here to tell you that this was fucking awful. (laughs) oh i love it so you guys if you want to follow me and ray and all of our weird well great news you can definitely do that find us on facebook at gore report a true crime podcast on instagram at gore report podcast and twitter and gore report Well, I think this is absolutely awful. I can't believe I cried on this podcast, and everyone is not your friend. Absolutely fucking not. Okay, bye. Bye. Are you afraid? You should be. You bless me.